Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Jess, look at me. Who makes it happen? I do. Who does? I do. I make it happen. That's right. Only then do we get what we deserve. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Jen with one N. And Gail from D.C., And today we're putting on our Reeboks, power suits, and tasteful accessories to celebrate and scrutinize Working Girl. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, we politely request that if you love our show the way we think you do, you will share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. So why? But Mark says it looks like Nicaragua and that we're making some kind of statement. Oh no, it's just like paradise. It's like paradise with little gold palm trees. Glorious, fabulous, stunning, really, super elegant, perfect. And now joining us today for our Working Girl show is two dudes, two bros, two guys, 80s nation knows and loves. I hope I'm not being rude, but who are you? It's Steve Spears and Brad in LA. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us on this week. Wow, thanks. So question, have you guys seen the movie called Working Girl? Oh, many times. Bradley? I have seen it exactly one time. And when was that time? Was that this week? (laughs) I just watched it for the first time the other night. Okay. All right. So we've all four watched it. We have opinions. Brad, I always like to turn to you when you haven't seen a movie until now. <laughs> to, to, right. to get, Which is often. Yeah, you get sort of a fresh kind of perspective. So we're all, we'll, we'll be asking you what you thought for sure. Excellent. I'm prepared to share my thoughts. Cool. So Gail, shall we start with the basics? Sure. Go ahead. So Working Girl was released on December 23rd, 1988, directed by Mike Nichols, written by Kevin Wade and starring Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, and Sigourney Weaver. So this is a movie about a woman who lives in Staten Island and works in the city in Manhattan as a secretary. 
and she has higher aspirations than being a secretary, but she's stuck in the secretary role. She's trying to get out. She wants to move up, get into a training program, do something different. But because she's a woman and didn't go to a fancy school and doesn't have a great education, she is relegated to this uh, administrative role. Things change for her when she gets assigned to work for a new woman executive in the company, played by Sigourney Weaver. I consider us a team, Tess. And as such, we have a uniform. Simple, elegant, impeccable. Dress shabbily, they notice the dress. Dress impeccably, they notice the woman. Coco Chanel. Um, how do I look? You look terrific. You might want to rethink the jewelry. And she starts to model herself after Sigourney Weaver. She sees that Sigourney Weaver's character, Catherine, is beautiful and sophisticated and smart. And the character, played by Melanie Griffith of Tess, starts to act more like Sigourney Weaver, shedding her Staten Island hair, her 80s makeup and accessories in favor of a more understated approach. When Sigourney Weaver's character is laid up in a skiing accident, Tess steps into Sigourney's role, Catherine's role, and basically impersonates her boss and finds herself in the middle of a deal, a transaction, and also a romance with another Wall Street type guy played by Harrison Ford. That is Jack Trainer. Why did you say you weren't you last night? Because I knew what would happen. All mergers and acquisitions. No... Lust and tequila. What did happen exactly? The earth moved. The angels wept. The Polaroids are, uh, are in my other coat. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I woke up in my underwear. I'll bet you look nice. So the movie plays out. You wonder, will uh, Melanie Griffith's character Tess get caught? Will people figure out that she's in fact an imposter, that she's really a secretary? What happens when Sigourney Weaver comes back to town? And most importantly, will the deal get done? I'm glad, um, Gail, that you said, most importantly, will the deal get done? Because I thought you were about to say, who will get Harrison Ford? And you were so right not to, because that feels like such a secondary story. Like the kind of romantic comedy part is like, to me, the least important yeah, part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the tension is, you know, what's going to happen? Will she prove herself as the the brain behind this great, brilliant idea. I think you two make a great point in saying that the romantic comedy part is the the subplot. It's not the major driving spot. And I think that's what, for me, when I saw it the first time, I think that's what I found so compelling was that, you know, Tessa's story, her work, her career arc is the the driving force of this movie, not the romantic Side plot with Harrison Ford. Yeah. And you know how you know that that's what they intended is that the final scene is not her walking into the sunset with Harrison Ford. The final scene is her getting her her office and looking out and feeling like she's finally made it. So that's that's where the, the, the camera pans away at the end. And I think that's the, the statement that they were trying to make. So who saw this movie for the first time in the theater? So not, this was 1988. So Brad and I would have still been in college. But but... Jen, Obviously, you were I didn't have and- money to be going to the movies, though, because this wouldn't didn't make the list. <laughs> right. <laughs> I did see it in the theater, and um, I was a freshman in high school, and I saw it with a friend, a girlfriend, and we we walked out of the theater just 
feeling so strong and so like empowered. And partly it's because of what we're talking about, about women in the work world and sort of projecting like, oh, wow, like this could be us someday, you know, if we work really hard and we follow our instincts and all that stuff. But really, honestly, when I think back, it had so much to do with that last shot that Gail was describing and that damn song. Maybe now would be a good time to go over what you expect of me. <clears throat> I, uh, I expect you to call me Tess. I don't expect you to fetch me coffee unless you're getting some for yourself. And, um, the rest will just make up as we go along. Whatever happened <laughs> in the previous, you know, 120 minutes, it's that song that you walk out to and you're just like, I can do anything, you know? So that, that was how, what, what I left with feeling. What about you, Gail? I'm going to confess that I have no idea when I saw this movie. I don't remember. I probably saw it in uh, on video at home because I was a freshman in college and I, you know, wasn't going to a lot of movies then. So I just I don't remember at all. The only thing I will note my personal memory of this is that when I had vacations in college, I uh, worked as a messenger at a law firm downtown DC called Davis Polk and Wardwell. And the the decor of Davis Polk had a very you know particular look to it, and it was actually in the New York office of Davis Polk that that final scene was filmed. And oh, I no remember way. watching it and saying, "Oh, that oh, looks really? so familiar," because it was the same decor as the DC office. And that's like a little a little piece of Gale and '80s trivia about <laughs> about this movie. <laughs> so someone must have told me that it was filmed there, and then I, I saw the movie somehow. So I'm going to guess I I rented it several months after it came out. I have this burning question I've got to ask. Um, because you haven't been on the show as many times as, as Jen, Gail, we, we, the, the large majority of the listeners of Stuck in 80s don't, don't know your backstory as well as you know the, the tighter-knit Stuck in 80s family. But where did you go to college? Oh, tell, tell I went to Brown went to in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. So in, in some strange way, you're more the Catherine Parker of this movie. Yeah. You're the character who's brought up with the... Yeah, with the education. Right. Right. So I'm just kind of curious, from your point of view, do you think that you see it differently than someone who maybe went to... A state school? Just say it. Just say it, Steve. <laughs> I went to a state school. <laughs> I went to a state school, too. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I think I don't relate to tests particularly. I've never been a secretary. I mean, although I was a messenger at a law firm, but you know, I, I didn't have, my career was not, didn't start out the way hers did. I don't think I lived a life, I've ever lived a lifestyle, maybe the way she did, but I don't think I particularly related to the Catherine Parker character either. I thought she was such an unlikable person. I don't know. Her morals were such in the wrong place. You know, she took credit for her or stole the idea from her assistant. I did not like the way she related to men. I didn't like the way she used sex and sex appeal as a way to get what she wanted or to connect with people. So, I mean, even if my background is similar to hers, just I didn't really find too much commonality with her as a person. Okay, good. I certainly don't have Andy Warhol paintings of myself. <laughs> Oh, you don't? Eight of them, if I counted correctly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So my that was her parents' yeah. place, right? Wasn't that her parents' it was her place? Parents place? Yeah. 
Which, who has their daughter? Right. <laughs> That's even worse in a way. Right. Actually, after I saw the movie on Saturday, I commissioned a set of both my kids. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it's funny that you say all those things because I, I don't disagree with that assessment, but I haven't seen it in many years. I watched it, uh, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago. And I was surprised at myself that I found myself not sympathizing with with Catherine's character, but understanding it better than I would have when I first saw it. Like when, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, she's the villain. She's evil. She is rich. So obviously, you know, obviously I've seen Pretty in Pink. We obviously don't like her. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But, um, but watching it again, I was like, you know what? She's really smooth. She's really good at her job. She's good at socializing. She's like that dim sum scene where Tess is like sweating her ass off. <laughs> but she says some lines that make me think, okay, she's had to fight a little bit. I mean, she definitely had the advantage with her, her upbringing and her money and her, her status already. But she had to maneuver in this space that was really hard for women, like really hard. So I don't know. I found myself kind of like understanding her a little bit. Kind of getting it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And not agreeing with it or not whatever. But but I was just like, oh, I kind of get right. you. And there also is the fact that it's Sigourney Weaver, who's so awesome. <laughs> it's hard to... And also because her, her role is a little bit co- comic relief in a lot of ways. But there's that one line where she says, I am, after all, me. And I was like, oh, God, I love you so much. <laughs> Everything's in place. For what? Man I've been seeing for a while. I think he's it. And I think this could be the weekend we decide. He said there was something very important he wanted to discuss with me. I think he's going to pop the question. You do? I think so. We're in the same city now. I've indicated that I'm receptive to an offer. I've cleared the month of June. And I am, after all, me. Well, what if he doesn't pop the question? (laughs) I really don't think that's a variable. Just because she had so much confidence, you know? And I think that's what Tess um, idealized about her, too, and, and admired about her. I definitely see that. It's hard to maybe judge her from today's standards when she was a character in the late 80s. So clearly the stuff that she was doing, you know, that kind of the way she was doing what she needed to do to get people on her side and to, you know, whether she was using her charm or her her German or whatever it was to get what she needed. You know, like I, I, it is easy to judge from today's standards and say, God, how pathetic. Like, why can't she just rely on her brain? And why can't she just rely on you know, treating men like colleagues as opposed to conduits to getting where she needed to go. But you do have to put it in historical context. It was 1988. And so she was crafty. And I think, Jen, you make a really good point that you may not like her, but you can kind of respect that she's doing what she has to do. Right. Let me make this as a transition to a a broader conversation about the cast. Does Sigourney Weaver's role work so much better? Does does the idea of her being a little bit more sympathetic at first anyway come from the fact that at least I think until this point in the 80s, we had never seen Sigourney as a villain. She'd always been a hero. So when you see her in this movie, you think, oh, it's Sigourney Weaver. You know, she's a hero. And then to find out that she's not all that you think she is. I mean, does she playing against her her type in a way? And does mm. that help? Does that help this movie a little bit? I think so. Absolutely. And you you sort of, you know, if you've seen it before, you kind of know what the beats are going to be. But 
having not seen it for a really long time, I remembered, oh yeah, I don't know she's bad yet. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not until uh, we might know the audience might know a little bit sooner than Tess does that she's up to no good, but it's about the same time where we make that realization of like, you know, as long as you walk in and you haven't seen too many of the trailers, you know, mm. <laughs> making her the bad guy right away. Yeah. The story, I I will say, I felt like the story was, I don't want to say telegraphed, but you could see where it was going. And it's like, oh, you know, obviously Harrison Ford is the unnamed boyfriend. You know, that, that's just, of course, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> what a coincidence, but right? that said, it's, yeah, exactly. It's done so well that you're like, yeah, okay, so I saw it coming. Big deal. It was well done. You know. Right. And speaking of the cast too, we, we haven't really mentioned what gave us the impetus to do this this show about Working Girl. So a, a few months ago, a Hollywood Reporter did a great oral history about the movie, which is so much fun. So they were, you know, they talked to Sigourney Weaver and they talked to Melanie Griffith and the writers and and um and one thing I thought was so interesting was that the filmmakers wanted Alec Baldwin to play Jack Trainer, mm-hmm. the Harrison Ford part. But at the but he wasn't a big enough name, and they were already taking a gamble with Melanie Griffith, so he wound up getting the part of Tess's boyfriend. And he was wow. so good, which in I thought that was too. kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was so cute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as the just, boyfriend. Oh, I'm talking about Alec Baldwin. I mean, he's so slimy and so, um, you know, he's just so gross and so demeaning of her in the movie. But like, he's also cute, and you can see a little bit of the charm there, so you can kind of understand why she's been with him. What? No class. No class. This, this is not what it looks like. I mean, it, it is what it looks like, but I can explain. Well, not exactly explain. Snake. She just clearly invested some years of her life in this guy. And you look at him, you're like, oh, I can kind of see why. Because he looks like Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> a young Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, right. Exactly. Doesn't hurt. Can, yeah. I ask, can I ask the ladies a question? Yeah. Does the scene, the, the, so obviously early in the movie, Tess has a has a has her 30th birthday. And they throw a big surprise party. At the end of the night, Tess gets her gift from Alec Baldwin, and it's a set of lingerie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a scene that always stands out with me. And ever since then, it's like, never, ever give a woman sexy clothes as a present. It's been like ingrained into my head ever since Working Girl. Is that a good thing to have ingrained in my head? Well, I think her point was all the time. Like, give her such... I think she even said, like, get me a bracelet once in a while or something. (laughs) Could you get me something I could wear outside the apartment? Get me something I can wear in public. Yeah. Here's my take on that, Steve. This is just my perspective. A gift like that is not for her. It's for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe for your birthday. So Mm -hmm. your instincts, I think, are pretty good. (laughs) I do this. I'm just saying it's it's one of those things that's been struck into my mind like fear. Like, like don't ever, ever do this. So I just want to... You know, I think you right. can do it once. But I think not- it's okay with like okay. another present. Oh, I like that approach. More than one present. <laughs> More than one present. Yeah. Like one for you to wear inside and one for you to wear outside. <laughs> Multiple, Multiple presents. presents. Hmm. This is, this is really a groundbreaking today. show. Okay. Thank you. So many. <laughs> You're learning so much. This is mind blowing. I'm going to need to excuse myself from this episode. Yeah, so I'm going to take some notes. along as we speak. Tess, will you marry me? Maybe. That's an answer. You want another answer? Ask another girl. (laughs) So what are some of the other casting kind of weirdnesses from this movie? I wouldn't say weird so much as glorious. Uh, There were so many cool people (laughs) in this movie, right? 
Yeah. There's some great cameos. So Olympia Dukakis plays a um, HR woman at the company who places tests with Sigourney Weaver's character, Catherine. Uh, Nora Dunn plays a really uppity event planner. Oh, she's so good. I, I love yeah, her she's lines. Funny. Kevin Spacey plays a real sleazeball guy who hits on Tess while she's ostensibly interviewing for a job with him and he's sniffing glue and watching porn in a In a limo, limo. in the back of a limo. Is so he, gross. Can, yeah. can, can I ask a question? He he's sniffing glue, he's not doing coke. Oh, I don't know. Was that was Yeah, that I coke? assumed it was Coke. Oh. I assumed it was Coke. <laughs> it spoon. was 1988 and he was in the back of a limo, so I'm going to go with Coke. <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever it was he was doing. Okay. Just oh, double got checking. It. Yeah, and popping champagne and yeah, he was gross. Gail, I am like so, I think that's the sweetest thing that you thought he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> like he's a 12-year-old boy making models. Like, that's very charming. Yeah, where does a trader right. get model glue in New York City? <laughs> Whatever he was doing. Um, it delivered by Amazon, which shouldn't exist yet. Oliver Platt plays one of the finance bros who's like sort of Tess's friend, but he's really kind of a big jerk at the same time. I don't know who Michael Chin is. I see that, yes. that he's in this movie. Who no, is he? I added that in because he was the he played the role i'm sure you all remember of, of when they when uh tess and jack order chinese food and the delivery man comes so that is michael chin who when i went to acting school in the i guess it was the early aughts he was my stage combat teacher <laughs> and i always got a big kick out of the fact that he was in working <laughs> okay so now i feel a little bit better about not knowing okay, who he good. was i feel good too my favorite person in this movie, other than the, the big headliners, is I love this woman named Amy Aquino, who plays Tess's secretary at the end of the movie, who's sitting in her office on Tess's phone, and Tess walks in and thinks, oh, I'm, I guess I'm the secretary still, and goes to take the secretary's desk, and then this woman comes out and says, no, 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 your office is in there. I loved the interplay between the two of them there. So she had kind of a small part, but it was it was very memorable to me. Yeah, She looks like familiar her. to me too. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what else she's been in. You know, I looked her up today when I was doing some research for the show and, and like the answer is probably nothing. Like I, oh, wow. I, she has a long list of sort of one, one time appearances in a bunch of series that you would remember, but I, none of them were big roles. Huh, okay. Which made me kind of sad. Yeah, she was good. We've saved the best for last, which is Joan Cusack, who plays Tessa's best friend, Sin. Oh. And I have often <laughs> said that Joan Cusack is one of the 80s movies MVPs because she just makes everything she's in like 25 to 45% better. She's awesome. Uh, Mr. Jack Trainer, to see you, Miss McGill. Thank you, Cynthia. Hold all calls, Miss McGill. Yes, Cynthia, thank you. Can I get you anything, Mr. Trainer? Coffee, tea, me? <laughs> Isn't she right? That'll be all, Cynthia. She is so funny in this movie, and she looks different from other parts she's played. And she, I think she, it, her role is, again, comic relief, but I love that Tess gets a best friend. Like, that's a movie for me, where the main character gets a best friend. And mm -hmm. you couldn't ask for a better best friend than one played by Joan Cusack, in my opinion. Coffee, tea, or me? It's probably her best movie performance. I mean, unless I'm forgetting something really obvious, I, I would say this is her best her best job. Brad, I'm shocked that this is the first time you've seen the movie when one of her quotes is one of the opening quotes of Stuck in the 80s. Yeah, that bumper predates my participation in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Well, I love that quote. And it was funny when it, it came on, you know, in the movie and I, my daughter was watching the show with me and I turned to her and I said it, you know, along with Joan, because I know it so well <laughs> from listening to this podcast for so long. Sometimes I sing and dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. So I, I appreciate you guys making me look good because I literally knew like exactly when to pause and when to say it. Such a good pause. Too. Yeah. Such a well-placed pause. We also haven't talked about Harrison Ford, which I think we need to do. Okay. Because I thought he was utterly charming in this movie. How did you get this scar? Some guy pulled a knife in Detroit. Really? No. No. <laughs> I was 19. I thought it'd be cool to have a pierced ear. My girlfriend stuck the needle through and I heard this pop and fainted and hit my chin on the toilet. <laughs> and you've been telling that story ever since? You're the only one who knows the true story. I, you know, what's nice about his character is not perfect. And he's, you know, somewhat self-deprecating and also not self-deprecating at the same time. But he's just funny and seems real and smart. And I, I don't know. I liked him. I liked the character a lot. And I thought Harrison Ford did a great job. I would say that next to Indiana Jones, these are Indiana Jones and, and Jack Trainer are his two best roles. What? Over Han Solo. Cricket. Excuse yeah. me. Old word. Han Solo. Han Hello. S- no, no. Han Solo goes kind of soft in... Uh, Return of the Jedi. I got a bad feeling about this. <sighs> so Stephen Q. Spears. <laughs> Please report to remedial 80s training. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to stick to it. I did really like his line when uh, when she woke up in his apartment. And she's, like, trying to, she's trying to figure out what happened. He's like, the earth moved. Angels wept. The Polaroids are <laughs> in my other coat. It's, it's a great role. <laughs> I mean, he's imperfect. And she's like, what about, you know, how did I get Oh, no, he's great. He's great in this role. And he's like, I might have peaked. You know, he's like, uh, he's not a choir boy. You know, he's just like, he's just like a normal, good, funny, smart guy. And he's cute. I think Harrison Ford played him really well, too. Kind of underplayed him knowing that the star was Melanie Griffin. Mm -hmm. Like that, her, her, we haven't talked about her very much, but I thought her performance is and was so perfect like i really i was surprised at how strong she was with her baby voice you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, I i loved it i yeah. loved her in this and i th- i think that that harrison ford really like just took a backseat to her and let her do her sh- movie star thing because she did it perfectly i think well and they had great chemistry which you don't see like you, you see it forced upon us a lot but i really believed in the chemistry between those two and i and i didn't think that it was all physical I, I, I thought it was there was really a spark, and it worked. You know, you're talking earlier about how her character didn't have the same level of confidence that uh, Sigourney Weaver's did, but she did stand in a bar full of people who were expecting her to say yes to her boyfriend, who had just basically asked her to marry him, and says, "You want another answer? Ask another girl." girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I ask this question? Because it's I mean, it, this has been burning in me ever since the last time I saw it. Okay, so there's the scene where she and Harrison Ford meet for the first time, but she doesn't realize it's that he's Drac Trainer. She's had the Valium. She's uh, she's had the like the two double tequilas, and she gives the line, you know, I have a head for business and a body for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? 
and it, it stuns him to the point where he's like, no, nothing at all. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> you okay? Mm, I'm fine. I'm just fine. I took a, um, antihistamine before, <laughs> and it just makes for a nice little buzz. I didn't know they let bad girls into these things. Do I look like I don't belong here? No. Hmm. No, no, I'm sure you're a real ace at whatever it is that you do do. Damn straight. But how you look. I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? I'm just kind of curious, Gail and Jen, what's your reaction to that scene and that line? I mean, that's to me, that's an, that's an interesting moment. I don't love it. I know it's a, a famous catchphrase from the movie. And I get the sense that she's just sort of flirting with a cute guy. Like, she doesn't know that that's Jack Trainer. She thinks that Jack has come and gone. And so she's, you know, met this attractive, smart, rich guy. And so she's flirting with him. And she's impaired. She's definitely impaired, so she's being super honest. That's true. I don't know. It was it was fine. I wasn't like, yeah, great line. I just was sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember that from the last time I saw it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, underwhelmed. How about you, Jen? Well, first I'll just say it's she has a bod for sin, which makes the line right. so much better. Body. What did I say? Um, you said body. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm giving her that an extra th- vowel. Just blows it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really it, it does because she's sort of being like you know coy and and cool and whatever. So I have to compare what I first saw the movie, what I thought of that line versus m- more recently. I thought it was badass when I first heard it. When I heard it now, as like a forty year old woman, I was like, <laughs> not great. Yeah, I, I kind of share that with you, Gail. Sort of like, boy, that would be more fun if you weren't yeah. at a work event. It's you know? a little cringy. <laughs> like, if you were at the bar <laughs> with your friends, like, yeah, it, it really is. It really is. Because it's like, you want her to succeed and she's blowing it in a way, even though I know she's met the right person. And it just yeah. it felt icky. Good. That's because that's how I feel about it now. And I just want to make sure that <laughs> your feelings were correct. I just want to run all my <laughs> thoughts by the two of you all the time before I say anything <laughs> ever. <laughs> this week's podcast is sponsored by modern cbd we've been hearing a lot lately about the benefits of cbd what's cbd you ask well it's not a fake stock ticker from the movie working girl it's a chemical produced by the hemp plant but without the psychoactive effects of marijuana and it's legal in all 50 states it can help with pain relief anxiety sleep focus and muscle recovery But it's hard to know what brands you can trust, which is why I'm glad to have discovered Modern CBD. It's the leading site to buy high-quality CBD products online. I love that Modern CBD curates the best CBD products from only the most reputable brands, including their own line of products and other top-selling CBD brands using USA-grown hemp. All of Modern CBD's products have passed strict quality control procedures, and Modern CBD offers free shipping on all orders. We have some close friends with an aging golden retriever, and we got them a bottle of canine CBD drops to help with his hip and joint pain. Now, the dog is not so good at ranking his pain on a scale of 1 to 10, but he is moving a lot better than he was, and he just seems a lot more comfortable. 
Modern CBD is the go-to website for CBD products, and right now we have a special offer for Modern just for our listeners. Get 20% off your order, plus free shipping when you use the offer code 80s. Now, just to allay any possible confusion, let me spell that out for you. Go to mdrncbd.com and use the offer code 80S to get 20% off plus free shipping. Don't wait. That's mdrncbd.com, code 80S. And we're back, and we are talking about Working Girl. Let's talk about how this movie did. It finished the year in number 11, but it was number four for the opening weekend. The movie cost $28 million to make, and it took in $103 million worldwide. So it was clearly a success. Nice. Yes. That's a win. And I bet of that yeah, $28 yeah. Million, a massive chunk of that was paid to Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Although yes. I wonder, I'm, I'm trying to remember in the oral history if he took a, a cut to be to work with Mike Nichols and everybody sure else. In there. I do wonder. Hmm. I reread that last night. I'm not sure yeah. it was there. It did say that he was like one of the biggest movie stars in the world at that time. And it was a huge get for them to get him for this. And he felt like he wanted to do something different. Can I jump back? Here's something I, I should have said this at the top of the show. But when I saw this movie or when I saw, you know, I knew about this movie. There's this movie called Working Girl. And I knew that it was kind of like the female version of Secret of My Success. And I'm like, well, I like that movie. Okay. But the title Working Girl led me to believe that Melanie Griffith's character was a prostitute in her off hours. <laughs> that's not wrong. I mean, that's that guess would, would make sense. That's, yeah, I was, what I, I was, that's what I thought. And so when I saw it the other night, I'm kind of like, when does she turn the tricks? She doesn't, as it turns out. Spoiler alert. I think the word girl <laughs> in, in the movie yeah, is no, that, the, like, at, it was the 80s, you know? Like, Do you think that was intentional, though? That name kind of slight double entendre? Oh, I don't know. Jen, what do you think? I, I don't. Yeah, I was going to bring this up later, but I'll chime in. I think that the title sucks through and through. I, I mean, generously, her the name is Working Girl, so they're referring to Tess, the heroine of the movie, as a girl, which, not great. And then maybe she's a hooker. That's the other <laughs> part. It's not a good title. It's not a good title. And I can understand the misunderstanding, Brad. I mean, I wasn't upset to find out that she wasn't a prostitute. I was just a little surprised. My friend uh, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times gave the movie four out of uh, four stars. He wrote, quote, The plot of Working Girls put together like clockwork. It carries you along while you're watching it. But reconstruct it later and you'll see the craftsmanship which I think is a brilliant way of talking about the movie. Yeah, and I, I have to say, I agree, because I watched this on a, a school night, and <laughs> I kept thinking, well, I'll, at some point, at a good stopping point, I'll pause it, and I'll return to this tomorrow, and I nope. never did. I was just nope. like, I was stepped up, and I was like, well, i got to see what happens next, even though I've seen it. <laughs> so it did carry me along, <laughs> you, quite literally. I'm surprised it only has an 85% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, who were the 15% of the people who didn't like this movie, who thought it was a, a POS? That's kind of what I'm kind people of curious who, about. People who thought there were going to be prostitutes in the movie. <laughs> or in the other extreme, it's feminists who, who take issue with it, maybe. Although I don't know what they're doing on Rotten Tomatoes. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Griffith was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress, which she did not win. Sigourney Weaver and Joan Cusack were both nominated for Best Supporting Actress, which they did not win. The movie itself was nominated for Best Picture, which it did not win. But the song Let the River Run by Carly Simon was nominated for Best Song, and it did win. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and I think deserved. 
The movie did better at the Golden Globes. It won Best Motion Picture for a Musical or Comedy, and Melanie Griffith won Best Actress. Sigourney Weaver won Best Supporting Actress, and once again, Carly Simon won Best Original Song. Nice. That song. Brad, did you know that that song was from Working Girl, For like having not seen the movie, but having, I'm sure, heard that song many times? I did. I did know that, yeah. There's something about it. It's very... Yeah. Oh, my like God. The, it, it's performed like three or four times in the movie different ways. I mean, Carly Simon right. does it. It's done by a choir. Right. Um, I've been whistling it <laughs> for the last three weeks, you know, in my big lonely house. But um, very well, I might say. <laughs> One thing I wanted to say, <laughs> especially with the music and the opening shots, I was taken aback, as always I am, when I see the Twin Towers. And they really were... Sure were um they were multiple shots of the twin towers in this movie and it was just you know hearing that music and seeing the towers and watching the sunrise over new york it it was i found very difficult to watch it's interesting you say that when katie and i were watching it the other night you know the helicopter pan across the statue of liberty comes and i turned to katie i'm like here comes the twin towers Mm -hmm. you know they're going to show it of course they are right there's a certain amount of a love letter quality of this movie to new york city Mm-hmm. And certainly lower Manhattan, I get too. caught up in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I visited New York City for the first time in 1989, so right after this movie came out, and stood on top of the Twin Towers. And I've, I, I spent a lot of time there recently because my girlfriend lives there. So I've been there like four times in the last six months, and I get excited every time I see the city in a movie. And this this movie really is – it's. I mean, the city itself is sort of like an uncredited co-star mm-hmm. in the cast. And also the ferry. And the ferry, yep. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the ferry, ferry from Staten Island to, to Manhattan. I'm sure if we were like film major studies, we would be able to say like, hey, you know, there's this role that the ferry plays. Here's the symbolism of the ferry and this kind of stuff. And, you know, having never took a film studies class in my life, I can't say what it is. But there is something to say really, about you, the ferry. You, you can't put together a paragraph of BS about how it separates the two worlds and that Tess is living in two worlds and one is Manhattan and the financial district and the other is in Staten Island with her, you know, her fisherman boyfriend. You know, come on. It's just, it's so exciting. I mean, she takes me seriously. And I think it's because, and I know you hate when I say this, but I think it's because she's a woman. There's none of that chasing around the desk crap. And it's like she wants to be my mentor, which is exactly what I needed. I mean, I feel like I'm finally getting somewhere, Mick. Yes, that's great, but let's step on it or the pizza's going to freeze, honey. Come on. Maybe we could all go out sometime, you know, dinner in the city. You would like her, I think. Those muscles aren't completely atrophied, are they? Good job, Brad. Good job. (laughs) Mind blown. So... (laughs) Um, there's some parts of this movie that uh, watching now are just so unbelievably dated and then made me laugh. There's the obvious, the fashion, the the big white chunky sneakers and athletic socks paired with the, the pantyhose and suits that women wore when they were commuting. The computers were really cracking me up. And there was once there was like this dot matrix printer and they were waiting for some printout about (laughs) Trask and the radio acquisition and the dot matrix printer is, you know, pushing out the data was making me laugh. Um, Grinding along. I'm always amazed when I look at, (laughs) (laughs) when I watch movies from the eighties that like the cars of the, even in the late eighties, those cars look super old. Like they're big, long sedans, all angular, like, 
that made me laugh because I was like, wow, even in 88, that's what we were driving. The hair, the hair is insane. Yeah. I mean, the hair is a caricature of 80s hair. The heights that, that hit those hair on both Melanie Griffith and Joan Cusack. The eyeshadow on Joan Cusack was insane. Mm-hmm. Watching Sigourney Weaver smoking in her office, that felt really old. Yeah. Harrison Ford smokes a cigar in a meeting. I'm oh, like, right. when did that go away? Why can't right. I smoke cigars <laughs> Jen, in you meetings? probably, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Sigourney Weaver is lying in her bed waiting for uh, Jack for Harrison Ford to show up, and she says, I want some perfume, Shalimar. And it made me laugh because I remember Shalimar from the 80s. It was like <laughs> this super heavy, sweet perfume. And it just made me laugh that for her, that was like the pinnacle of sexiness. So she was going to spray on some Shalimar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, for sure. you know, just that the whole cliche at the end that Tess has this woman assistant. She's working for a woman. And it was like, how? what's the interplay between a woman working for a woman? Like the fact that that was so novel obviously is a little um, anachronistic because it's not the way it is now. So let's quickly go back to the scene where Sigourney Weaver is in bed kind of trying to seduce Sir Harrison Ford. And she says basically that her biological clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. Catherine, I really do have to get going. These past few weeks, I've heard this funny little sound way deep down inside. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. My biological clock. Big deal going principles are all meeting it. And I've been thinking, let's merge. You and I. Think of it, darling. Mr. and Mrs. Fabulously Happy. Has that is is that a good line to use on a man? Let's have babies right now. I'm not sure that's really I thought that was weird too. A great approach. Here's this woman who's like such a career woman, and it felt it felt like, like gratuitous. Like, I don't know why they threw that in there. She, it seemed out of character. You make a really good point that that is not a way to get a guy. And I was like, why are you throwing that in there? And it, it also felt, it kind of bugged me too, because it plays into another stereotype of women that they're like, you know, baby obsessed. And it's all about getting a man so that you can have kids rather than, and here's this woman who's super successful and also really young. Yeah. So it just, that seemed weird to me. Yeah. The other thing that she says in that scene is let's merge, which reminded me of the economics professor in Back to School. Look at the balance sheet. We were made for one another. Let's merge? What? What? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> that was weird. Can we also discuss her hospital room? <laughs> like, what was with the nonstop party going on in her hospital room? She was in Switzerland. <laughs> I don't know what? what to do over there. It was, she was in Switzerland, but right? That was so weird. Yeah. I mean, she like got she, really kind of, she became a joke of a character toward the end, especially. Well, yeah. there was some editing that could have been done. It was a, It's a great movie, but there's a little bit of editing that could have been done that would have made it an even better movie. And I think those are the kind of scenes that could have probably been cut. And this movie would yeah. stand up a lot better 31 years later. I just wanted to address the what you were saying about the, the merge and, and her biological clock kind of trope that they dragged out again. And I, this movie is, I like this movie and I don't like this movie all at once. And I, and it's, it's the problem of the movie, right? It's like both progressive and regressive at the exact same time, which is irritating to me, right? Like they could have gone further in one direction. I don't know if it, if it had been. Maybe a woman who wrote it or a woman who directed it or God forbid both. You know what I mean? Like, 
it does two things at once. It like lifts up Tess and it also knocks her down a peg or two every single time, every scene you can think of, you know, I mean, a perfect example. And I know it was her idea. I know Melanie Griffith says, I always vacuum naked or whatever, but they put her, that actress, that character in her bras and panties and garters a lot. Yeah like a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say like, I know it was 1988, but I know by that time, legs were <laughs> L-E-G-G-S were a big thing, like control top pantyhose. Like nobody wore mm-hmm. garters. I'm sorry. Unless you're trying to seduce Harrison Ford. Okay. Maybe I would wear garters too. But the fact that she was always wearing garters under regular clothes, I think that was so, it was like just making her more sexy. And it just felt like, again, mm-hmm. Tess has, I don't know. It's, it's the, Head for a business, bod for sin problem. Yeah, it's the bod for sin. Um, was she topless when she was vacuuming? I think so. I, I think, think so. I think she was, yes. I think so, too. And I was like, that was completely yeah, unnecessary. That's completely and, gratuitous. Right. And I know that was her idea. And she said she wanted to do it. And, you know, so no one was pushing her into doing that. But I was like, what the hell? I mean, yeah. who does housework like that? Sorry. <laughs> I try not to do housework, let alone doing it naked. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask the million dollar question here, and I want everyone's verdict on this, and it doesn't have to be a long doctorate thesis defense or anything, but how does Working Girl hold up in a post-hashtag MeToo world? And let's let's start with, with Gail. I think that Working Girl is a, a point on the continuum. It is an advancement from the sort of the dark ages for women, but it's not we're not there yet. And so I look at it post me too. And I think there's themes in there that are clearly resonant with what we're experiencing today, you know, kind of the, the pushback and the, the equality side of it and the, you know, kind of just pushing back on some of the demeaning situations women have been in. But there's still a lot of problems with, I think, looking through the prism of today, there's a lot of problems with what happened in this movie. And you know, it goes back to how I felt about Sigourney Weaver's character and her buttering up and, and flirting with and trying to sort of, you know, half seduce these men to get where she wanted. And, you know, Tess's character, like, she's still kind of a ditz. I mean, I know she's smart and she comes, she saves the day, but like, what's cute about her, what's funny about her is that the way she talks and that she reads the society pages and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, she's actually smart. It's not like that's ever the the assumption that she's smart. So, I mean, I feel like we're like halfway there with this movie and it's a point on the continuum and a stop on the journey to get to where we are today. But it's certainly, I don't look at that like, oh, that's a big Me Too anthem. Chen, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I like that point in the continuum. I think that really works for me too, because the other thing of it is there aren't that many movies with women protagonists. And it's really, sorry, I'm not going to swear, but it's really annoying And so we are kind of stuck with movies like Working Girl because we're like, well, at least, Mm. you know, and making a lot of excuses for it because there are so few other movies like it. So that's annoying to me. But the other point I just wanted to make is that this is just yet another movie or like cultural product, song, TV show, whatever, that upon rewatching it now is so different for me, you know, because of all the Me Too stuff. It's like, I still have a hard time and I don't know if I'll ever not have a hard time listening to Michael Jackson. And I love Michael mm-hmm. Jackson. So it's just these layer. It's like as we get older, right? There's just more layers that get put on 
something. And, and this feels the same way to me, you know, like when she takes the Valium, it's supposed to be a hilarious scene and it's kind of not. And when he's carrying her on his shoulder to his apartment, you know, Harrison Ford's a good guy, but what if he wasn't, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, it's entertaining as all get out. It's a well-made movie, but there are so many parts of it that I'm just like, Oh, I wish this had been different. And also things aren't that different in a lot of ways. So that's kind of a, a bummer too. I mean, I think it does hold up, but like Gail says, a point on the continuum. I, I do want to say there, there, the other movie that I, I can't help but compare it to is nine to five, which is a kind of pro-feminist sort of a movie, but they were friends that worked together, not against one another, which was something else that bugged me about Working Girl, was that the two leads were pit against one another. Whereas something like 9 to 5, which the only thing I can think of is 9 to 5, (laughs) they're working together to to further all of their careers. Yep. Hey, we have a few minutes left here and surprise pop quiz time. I have a few questions that I've pulled together from the movie. I want to see how well everyone remembers it. Are you guys ready? Yay, yes. How do we ring uh-huh. Here's how it works if you haven't played before. If you think you know the answer, you say your own name. Steve. So everybody test their buzzer. Steve. Steve. Jen. Steve, 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 Steve. <laughs> Gail. Brad's is broken. Question number one. How many future Jack Ryans are in this movie? Jen. Jen. Two Jack Ryans. Name them. Jack Ryan and Jack Ryan, obviously. And (laughs) Alec Baldwin (laughs) and Harrison Ford. You are correct. Jen wins at point number one. No Jake Ryans. Working? Problematic. What's the name of the girl that Tess finds Mick with in her bed? Ah, uh, nothing. Like, she sounds like Roseanne, but it's not Roseanne. Denise. Denise, was that it? Danielle. Jen. You guys are close. Jen. <laughs> Denise. <laughs> <laughs> no. Mm. Correct answer. The correct answer you're looking for is Doreen. Oh, so. Doreen. Ah, okay. She caught, the, she, caught, she caught the bouquet one-handed, Steve. One-handed. <laughs> yeah, she did. They say her name a few times. It, I know it's, <laughs> it's probably not the sort of question I should ask. But I, I'm trying to stump you, so that's part of the thing. Okay, next question. Question number three. Uh, Working Girl was also a short-lived NBC TV series back in 1990. Who starred as Tess? Ugh. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Wow. I've done well this week. Nobody? Everyone give up? Um, no idea. Brad. Brad. Danny DeVito. <laughs> that is not a good guess. Correct answer. <laughs> correct answer. Are you ready? Sandra Bullock. What? Oh, I was so close. Oh. Wow. So there you go. Someone should get this one, okay? Ready? Next question. How much does the cocktail dress cost that Tess borrows from Catherine? Gail. Gail. $6,000. You are correct. $6,000. And it's not even oh leather. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's not, not even, even leather. leather. Okay. okay, here we go. How does Tess learn that Catherine is planning on stealing her idea? Jen. Gail. Brad. Jen, I heard your name first. She hears it on the tape 
player when she's listening and trying to imitate Catherine's voice. I'll give that to you. And then she reads it in the on email. her home computer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, here we go. Jen is winning by a slight margin of two to one. Brad is p- pulling it through here. I'm, I'm not sure that's technically email. <laughs> there was no email. Was that email in 1988? Like, no, no, there was email in 1988. <laughs> there was. But it wouldn't have been very broadly used. It would have been mostly college campuses and military establishments on ARPANET. I think Brad should get a point for go. that. I mean, Brad, <laughs> I'm going to give Brad him. I'm writing it in right now. Half a point. Perfect. <laughs> Yay. Brad is on the board. Zero. <laughs> okay. Next question. What gift does Jack bring to Tess after their first business meeting at Dewey Stone? Gail. Gail, I heard your voice first. A new leather briefcase. Yes, we are all tied up. Which inappropriate? Do you think? It's Aww, an expensive because she said she lost it. Was, it. That's I'm kind of sweet. That was a funny kind part, of presumptuous though, like, to me. I will say that's kind of like uh, you know, you're buying I thought it was sweet. a little bit. No, but like, you're, he's apologizing too for like not telling her who he was the night before. Okay, mm. I'll take it. See what I mean? Okay. I'm so conflicted about this movie. He's trying to do the right thing. I thought it was a strange gift. Brad has had his half point taken away. Here we go. (laughs) Sorry, Brad. (laughs) Here's the next question. The deal at the center of the film involves attempting to acquire a radio network for Trask Industries. What company does Jack Trainer bring on board for the merger? What is the name of the radio network? Gail. Gail. Metro? Yep. Metro Media. You Gail is in the lead. have a good memory. Now the questions get a little bit more difficult. Oh, great. Oh, God. <laughs> but they're not working girl specific, so Brad has a chance. Are you ready? Here we go. Catherine lands on a helipad holding a large stuffed animal. The scene serves as a wink and nod toward what other Sigourney Jen. Weevil movie? Jen. 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 No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Gorillas in the Mist. Gorillas in the Mist is correct. She has a gorilla. Brad's got a chance to climb into it at this point. Are you ready? Brad, you still there? <laughs> I'm here. I'm Connection. awake. Connection's still working. Brad, 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 Brad. <laughs> there we go. Scorny Weaver appears in 10 movies in the 1980s, including Working Girl. Which of the following is not a Sigourney Weaver movie in the 1980s? Ghostbusters 2, Deal of the Century, The Year of Living Dangerously, or Alien? Brad. Brad. Year of Living Dangerously? Anyone else? Oh, wait. No. Jen. Oh, crap. I know the Jen. answer. Jen. Ghostbuster, Ghostbusters 2. Wrong. Gail, you want to try? Oh, man. <laughs> what were the other two? <laughs> We've really narrowed it down for you. <laughs> Game I can't over, man. What the other Game two over. What was, what was the second one you said? Oh, Alien. She was an alien, I think. What was number two? Deal of the Century. Uh, Deal of the Century. <laughs> Alien is the correct movie. Alien was from 1979. Oh, that's 79. Oh, uh, I was thinking uh, the 90s. Grown. You are so tricky. Okay. Next question. Harrison Ford has been nominated for only one Oscar in his entire career, and it wasn't for Working Girl. What movie was it for? Gail. Gail. Witness? You are correct. Oh, that's good. Really? Nice I was pull. like, regarding Henry? <laughs> nice pull. I was going to go Mosquito Coast. <laughs> okay, last Ooh, question, everybody. Last question. Last chance for you, Jen, to pull it even. Uh, here we go. 
Melanie Griffith has been nominated for three Golden Globes in the 80s, including the one that she won for Working Girl. What two other roles earned her Globe nominations? Ugh. I have one. Go for it. Give me the one. I'll try. I only have one. Uh, Something Wild? That is correct. You want to give a guess? Uh, To pull it even? Try to think what else she, she was wasn't in a big easy I'll question. Give you the year. No, it was 1984. 1984. Okay, your time is up. <laughs> oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Brad, go ahead, Brad. Get that half point. It's body double. Has to be body, body double, double is correct. Brad, Brad, Brad's made whole. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Brad. So the uh, the grand winner by a score of four to three to one. Gail in D.C., you were the winner. Ah, thank you. Woo! Hey, uh, that's all the time we have this week. Special thanks to Gail and Jen for hosting this week's show. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for letting us do it. Hey! It was our pleasure. <laughs> Real enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a major award. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll be back next week, but in the meantime, we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Sin, guess where I am? Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.